Welcome, everyone, to the Fantasy Baseball Beat podcast. If you've listened to our other podcasts, you know we're trying to get beat reporters to come on and give us their takes on the teams they cover as we try to gain every possible edge for you to play in fantasy baseball. Tonight, we have a very special guest joining us. But first, let me introduce you to my very talented co-host, Carlos Marcano. Carlos, what's up, my friend? Oh, good, Mike. Oh, good. Very excited to talk to our guest today because I'm pretty sure that there's a lot of people really interested to know what he has to say. So let's get it rolling, man. I am for sure, too. Our other host, Chris Torres, has this thing called the family. And duty called tonight for him and his wonderful wife and kids, so he's not going to be joining us. But tonight, you'll get to listen to me and Carlos talk to the one and only legendary Scott Merkin. Scott Merkin is covering the White Sox for, I think, more than 20 years, Scott, right? And uh, 21st you're one of the, year, yeah. 21 years and is one of the eminent beat reporters in MLB. So, Scott, thanks for making time for us tonight. Uh, you can find Scott on the Twitterverse at Scott Merkin with a K at S-C-O-T-T-M-E-R-K-I-N. If you're not following him, I suggest you change that immediately. Scott, how's it going tonight? Good. I have to say up front that when I did play fantasy baseball years years ago, I think it was called rotisserie baseball when I played. It, I was not very good. So we'll see if I can, uh, hopefully I can, hope I can help the other people to be better than I was. I'm sure that you do fine, and that you probably win most leagues that you're in now, just because of the access that you have to everybody. But no, no, I don't. Anyway. I, I stopped. I stopped playing pretty much. It was just, uh, you know, I played fantasy football a lot, and it just became obsessive. You know, I, I'd sit there, and I'd look at the, I'd sit for you know three hours and look at like ESPN Gamecast before I even had like Red Zone, and I'd get sure. annoyed because they were at the two, and they'd give it to some like you know fullback who never scored instead of the tailback that I had, and or the receiver I had would go like 50 yards with the catch and stop at the two and then lose a touchdown point. Yes. So I'd get all annoyed. I remember one year when uh, Priest Holmes was at his peak, I had him and I started like 19-0 and 0 and I got to the semis and he unfortunately, I'm sure he felt more unfortunate than I did, but it got hurt and that killed my team. So 19-0 and 0 and I didn't win the championship. What can you do? It's funny. I only play fantasy football just because it kills time until fantasy baseball starts again. Yeah, gotcha, <laughs> I'm not any. Gotcha. I'm not any good at it. That's for sure. I have so. some friends who do uh, like fantasy college football. Like not even so much fantasy, but like they have ten people and they you know just go through and pick players until you know they're done picking for ten rounds or whatever. So I can barely it's remember. Right. I can barely remember my name on college. <laughs> sure was. Sure was. That's, that's right. for sure. Uh, old JJ McCarthy from uh, outside of Chicago here. Yeah, so. Nazareth Academy. Nazareth until he went to uh, IMG, but Nazareth still lays claim to him. I think he was there three years before he uh, before he left to go to, I, to finish at IMG. Yeah, I think you're right. He was actually the starting quarterback. I live in Batavia, and I got my Batavia okay. Bulldogs hat on, and yeah. they 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 beat Batavia in the uh, in the finals. I think in 2018, if that is that right. So you know, anyway. I, I started my first eight years. I started covering. I covered prep sports. Loved covering prep sports. It was great. Right out of college. And uh, so I still pay attention. So I saw Batavia had a nice, nice, uh, nice, they're like Providence. They had a decent season and they had a really nice tournament, a nice playoffs and then lost uh, a really good Mount Carmel team. Obviously. Yeah, they, they they ran into a buzzsaw on Saturday. Yeah. <laughs> There's no doubt yeah. about it. Yeah. So anyway, well, Scott, that kind of tells us a little bit about where you've been. So tell us a little bit, if you could, before we get started about your start in the industry and how you found your way into the baseball realm. Well, that's how I started. I started covering, I started for a place called the Star Publications. Not to be confused with the tabloid, the star, which I'm not even sure if it exists anymore. Um, I covered preps, you know, for, I don't know if people know the area, but New Lenox, Mokina, Frankfurt, 
And then also Harvey, Thornton, Thornridge, South Holland, all those schools in those areas had a great time, learned a lot, you know, did everything from columns to game stories to features, layout, supervised people. It was just a, a great hands-on experience. I ended up at the Tribune eventually, was kind of a GA writer for the paper and chicagosports.com. After left there, started with MLB.com in 2003. I always go by, like, how many years I've had each manager. And uh, <laughs> I had just one year at Jerry Manuel before Ozzy came in, and I've been doing it ever since. Yeah, that's wild. That's really cool. Um, you know, you have a lot of It's a of great follow- company. It's a, it's a great – it's real, It's so well run. I mean, I, I just am impressed all the time by how well run our, the focus our company has and just great staff. I mean – just you know, every, everyone we have is is quality on our staff. It's it's very cool. That's awesome. It makes it sound like it's a pretty good place to work, which makes a heck yeah, of a lot is. of difference when you're uh, when you're working as much as you are. So let's just jump right in. You know, obviously, um, we know the White Sox did not have the year that many people had anticipated that they were going to have in 2022. Can you kind of give us an overall assessment of, you know, what went wrong? I think a lot of people kind of have an idea what went wrong and maybe also a little bit about what went right. Yeah, there wasn't a ton that went right. I mean, you know, off the top, what went right was Dylan Cease. I mean, Dylan Cease was tremendous. He developed into a true ace. You know, he was the number two vote getter in the AL Cy Young this year behind Justin Verlander, who was amazing, obviously coming back from Tommy John at age 39. He had, Dylan had one of the most powerful pitches in baseball in his slider, uh, but really was, you know, I think Ethan Katz, been coach, some of how he just kind of understood game plans better, just understood everything. Just, you know, it, it was another year for him under his belt. And he was tremendous. You know, he was tremendous. Michael Kopech had a good first year as a, as a full-time starter. He had, you know, obviously been in the majors in a kind of a, a hybrid role, starter reliever, but as a full-time starter, he had a good good first year. Um, you know, Jose Abreu was his typical self, except for, you know, a drop in power, but otherwise very productive. Second in the American League in hits. Uh, Andrew Vaughn had a good year, although seemed to, you know, kind of for a second straight year, kind of tired out at the end. And they're hoping, I think, not playing out of position in 2023, moving to first base now will help him solve that issue. But yeah, it, it was not, it was, it was probably just judging by the fan base that I've, you know, interacted with in the 21 years is the most disappointed I've seen the fans because this is a team that people thought, you know, this is the kind of the prime of the rebuild. This is the window is open. And this is a team that some people picked could be World Series contender based on their talents, and they finished 81 and 81. So, I mean, it it didn't didn't even make the playoffs. And they added a playoff spot, right? And they still didn't even make the playoffs. And it was just, you know, Tony was good by the media, Tony LaRussa. I enjoyed covering him. You know, there were moments, obviously, but you have moments in every job and every situation. He just was not the right fit for for this team 2022 or prime moving forward. I'm glad he's healthy. That's the key thing. Much more important than baseball. Uh, you know, he's got a family and everything. So that's, that's what matters. But now they have Pedro Grafal in there and it just, you know, it, the team didn't hit for power. They didn't, uh, play good defense. The pitching was a little inconsistent here and there. Although, you know, the bullpen was pretty solid overall and it just was not, a, and they didn't stay healthy. That's the biggest thing is they did not stay healthy. I mean, you can look at almost every guy on that team. You know, I mean, Anderson was on the IL for a considerable amount of time. Yohan Moncada started the year on the IL. You guys, Monty Grandal was coming off knee surgery and with the lockout last offseason, didn't have a chance to work with, you know, other with the team and kind of, you know, getting that set and having his way back. Now, and he had a you know, very rough year. Now this year, this offseason, he's working fully healthy in the offseason. So he's ready to go in what will be his last year 
of his contract. The Sox, Eloy had an injury, you know, early on in Minnesota. Luis Robert missed the end. Yeah. So, I mean, you, know, you, you take these guys off any team. Giolito had an off year pitching-wise overall, but you take this, you take that kind of trouble on any team, even the deepest of teams, and you're just not going to succeed. You're not going to do very well. Yeah, it looked and, like everything that could go wrong just did. You know, pretty much, yeah. It, it, they're, they're, they're a better t- – I mean, I don't know if they were a World Series contender. You know, let's, let's be honest. In this rebuild window opening, they have exactly two playoff wins, not two series wins, two playoff wins total. So not exactly, you know, saying, okay, this is the team that's going to do it this year. But they're better than a 500 team. You know, this should be a playoff team. With this group they have now in the division they're in, no offense to Cleveland, who was unbelievable and so much fun to watch this year. No offense to Minnesota, who's kind of a you know always in the in the running. But in this division, they should you know be be in the playoffs every single year with the group they have. So it was a real disappointing year in 2022. But definitely, there were they, they there were some bright spots, like for example, Liam Hendricks. What's his deal? You know, yeah, I forgot about Liam. Yeah, Liam was great at the end, and and even Lance Lynn. He he did you know a pretty. Acceptable job, uh, even even with its ups and downs. So, you think that they, they, they will continue to to perform, or even maybe take a little step forward in that regard? Yeah, you know, Lance uh, Lance hurt himself, and I believe his last what is either last or second to last spring train outing. It was a night game in like Goodyear, and he hurt, I mean, no, no, it was a day that was uh, Garrett Crochet hurt himself in a night game in Goodyear. Mm-hmm. Lance hurt himself. Yeah. I like, got a Sunday afternoon. I want to say in Scottsdale. And had knee surgery, and it took him a while to, you know, really kind of get back into rhythm. And he got hit pretty hard. He had a seven ERA, five six starts in, and then you know the last I want to say ten or eleven starts he made, it was like two point five ERA. You know, more along the lines of what you expect from Lance Lynn. So right. I think I think he'll be fine this year as long as he stays healthy. And you know, I should I, I very much an oversight on my part that Liam Hendricks again was one of the best closers in baseball. You know, I had a few moments. Everyone remembers the. Cleveland game where they were winning big in the ninth and Josh Naylor had the game tying homer and then I believe had a game tie game winning grand slam in the tenth against Ryan Burr. And uh that was when Ryan had the great quote. I mean it's an old quote, but he said, you know, sometimes you're the bug, sometimes you're the windshield, and tonight I'm <laughs> I was the bug, you know. So but Liam was great. The bullpen overall was very good. You know, Kendall Graveman mm-hmm. was very good. Bummer when he was healthy, he was another guy who dealt with injuries, you know, all year. So yeah, I, I think that, you know, I don't see any drop-off from these guys. And I think, if anything, Lynn healthy and being together for full spring training is going to help, the you know, everyone on that team. You know, Scott, you brought up the, the injury issues. Obviously, anybody who was watching the Sox this year uh, saw that just a staggering number of games missed by their, their core group of guys. Do you see the injuries to Eloy and Luis Robert and Tim Anderson as being, like, freak? kind of freakish incidents, accidents, and do you think that they're getting an injury-prone label, or do you think that that's unfair? Well, it's interesting because uh, Rick was asked by a reporter, or was addressing something about the reporter early in the season after Aloy got hurt about Aloy being injury-prone. Rick Hahn, of course, the GM for the White Sox, and right. kind of bristled at that. But I don't think, you know, it's not a negative, and maybe it is a negative connotation, but no one is saying Aloy doesn't work. No one is saying Aloy mm-hmm. isn't a, a supremely talented kid who seems to really enjoy playing baseball, has fun at the ballpark, which is, you know, half the battle in your job, as anyone in the world will tell you. That's my right. parents always told me, you know. Right, right. And you have fun at. But, you know, if you get hurt every year, you're a little injury prone, right? I mean, it doesn't mean you're you're bad or anything like that. It just means it happens. So I think the Sox are working now. They've added a new sports science department, which they added, or a, a 
director, someone in charge of it, which they talked about today in the Zoom about, you know, the new coaches. So they're doing all they can to keep these guys healthy. Because that's an issue. You know, I mean, you have and, – and give Aloy credit. I mean, Aloy hurt himself, busted his butt. Go, I was at the game mm-hmm. in Target Field. Uh, happened to lost my credit card that weekend, as a matter of fact. But <laughs> eventually got it back. Um, busted his butt on a – you know, in a game where they were down, I think, already, trying to beat on an infield hit, and it looked awful. And then to see him the next day trying to even, like, sit down and just adjust himself walking in on – you know, sitting on the chair, adjusting himself on the chair – Walking in with those crutches, I thought, well, he's there's no chance we'll see him again next year. This year, I'm, I'm sorry, not next year. The rest of 22. And that was May something, right? Not only did they see him again, but he was really good, you know, when he yes, came he back. Was. So, so give him, you know, give him a ton of credit. You know, if you're going to say he's a little injury prone, that's okay. But you're also got to give him credit for kind of busting his butt in that rehab, getting himself ready to come back as soon as he possibly can. And, and for sure. being good once he came back and he was the same in – in 21, when he came back, I think he had a little bit of a, a rough finish, but you know, he could, people have said to me, they think that maybe his high point could be like a Yardon Alvarez, you know, and maybe now that he did some work at DH last year, which he hated, you know, he, before he had to do it last year because of the injury, he wanted no part of DH. And I get it. He's a young player. Why would you just want to do that? You know, right. But maybe now that he found success doing that and found a little bit of a routine, he'll be better off better suited going in to play a lot of time there this year and that'll help him even more so but put it this way i think as many things as went wrong last year and this is what pedro grafol told us we met with him in the first press conference you know this team had so many injuries so many you know issues with underperformance here and there or just Mm -hmm. not doing things well and they still finished 81 and 81 so that doesn't happen unless you have a lot of talent now again you know they beat up on some not great teams but that's what really good teams do right you beat up on the teams that aren't great and you kind of break even against the teams that are excellent. So, you know, give them credit that it was a rough season, things didn't go well, and they still had enough talent to get to 500. Yeah, you got to you got to beat the team that's in front of you, right? I mean, it, right. they don't yeah, make the schedule. It. That's you know, it. That's, that's, it. that's the way it really yeah. goes. Can you talk a little bit about, I know um, one of the things that a lot of Chicago fans and a lot of fantasy players are really interested in Luis Robert, obviously, the, the stolen base and power upside is – Almost unparalleled, probably in in major leagues right now, except for a few guys. Can you talk a little bit about what happened with him in the second half, Scott? I don't know how comfortable you feel going into that, but there were a lot of questions as to why he wasn't on the IL when he was clearly swinging with one hand with the wrist injury. Uh, is he going to be healthy? Is he going to be healthy for the spring? And do you think he'll be ready to go? Yeah, I mean, I haven't literally haven't talked to him, and they really haven't talked about him since we. I think we met with him. I think it was in San Diego, maybe that last road trip. And if not, it was the last home series against Minnesota. You know, he, you know, I think he tried to play through it. They were Mm -hmm. still in that race, you know, as, as great as Cleveland was to kind of, you know, outkick their coverage and the prediction is what they were going to be for a team. Um, You know, they were right there in, you know, until they lost four in a row at home to Cleveland and then they weren't right there anymore. Right. So Robert tried to hang in there, but here's the thing with Robert is he's, you know, a five tool talent. There's no question about it. You watch him and see. You know, he, he hit that home run, the Grand Slam in Minnesota, where it went like 475 feet. You see how good the one he hit in the playoffs against Oakland during the pandemic season, yeah. pandemic shortened season. You see how good he is. He's a go- already been recognized as a gold glove caliber center fielder. Right. He can hit 300. He can steal 30 bases. But he has not played 100 games in the major leagues yet in the season. So the, what's the key thing there? Keep him healthy. And that's a yeah. big priority for the White Sox. And, every, and again, they'll be helped by – 
you know, the pandemic still, we're still dealing with whatever out there. You know, we understand we have to, that's part of it, but there's no restrictions from that. You know, like there wasn't 20, there's no lockout issues like there wasn't 21. I'm sorry. I'm off one year, right? No, no, that's right. Yeah, that's right. 20 and 21. Yeah, you got it. Yeah. yeah. And well, there's no lockout issues. There wasn't 22. Um, And so, you know, you have a, a regular off season and a regular season to get to work and see what you can get of it. And I guess 21, they were coming off. What I was thinking of is, 20 was the pandemic shortened season. 21, you're ramping up after that short season for a full season. And then 22, you had going into it, the lockout issue, which was right. settled eventually. Right. So, and they did play 162. So now you have off season, normal off season, normal contact with the team, normal spring training for what it looks, uh, and go from there. So yeah, Robert is a guy I'd take on every fantasy team. And you just hope that he stays healthy and can play 130 games. And I think the numbers will, will correspond. Yeah, I agree. Nice. I, he's still been taken in the fourth round, so people this is still into him. And maybe not a first round value as last year, but uh, mm-hmm. I mean fourth round this is still pretty rich, you know. Yeah. Um, so, so I, I want to to go back uh, to a couple of players that mm, might be more on the you know getting a lot of talk from the fans and and people alike, and those are. Jasmani Grandal and, and Joan Moncada, especially Moncada, who, who doesn't seem to click yet in, into what people is expecting from him, right? So, so and this season was a low season for them. What, what do you think happened to them last year, in your, in your opinion? On, and can they rebound from there? Yeah, I think first off for Moncada, last week of the season, you know, he's ready to go. He did have a great spring, but, you know, no one ever got to the Hall of Fame on great cactus league numbers obviously right. and in the last week of the season we're told that you know he sidelined because of a oblique not a big deal and then we get to where they where the season opened last year why am i blanking now it was on the road uh what the heck it really is immaterial for the story but it's bothering me that i can't think of where they opened um, oh detroit they opened no no yeah they opened detroit so uh they opened detroit and we get there for the workout day and they say he's on the il you know and was gone for a good portion of April. So it's tough to, it's a tough injury to fight through. Mm-hmm. I always use this story because I remember Adam Dunn, the year in 2012, when the, Robin's first year when the Sox were fighting for the AL Central title, and I think we're in first 177 days. He had an oblique strain in that last month and played through it because they needed him. And he said he didn't really feel totally right until like December of that offseason. It's a tough injury, and it, especially, you know, swinging and everything else. Moncada is still a, a stellar defensive player. He's been up and down offensively. I think, you know, he'll benefit from the change with Grafol in there. And I think, you know, not everyone is a pump your fist, you know, make jokes in the dugout type of guy. He's just a laid back dude. Doesn't mean he doesn't care. I think he cares very deeply. He plays hard. He trains hard. He's also just had some injury issues. And then Oblique really just kind of set him back at the outset. And with Grandal, you know, Grandal, after he came back from the knee surgery in 21, had a stretch of like 30 games where he hit the ball as hard as I think anyone I've seen in covering this team for 20 years. Mm-hmm. And he every, every even the outs were just line drives at someone or great plays taken away hit. I think he may benefit a little bit this year from no the, the shift, you know, changes. I think he lost some hits because of that the last few years. But again, we saw him at a, a charity event the Sox had where he was gracious enough to, to help out. And he talked about he's doing work with uh, the Blackhawks trainer. Yeah. Or the conditioning that. director. I don't want to get his title wrong, which I already did. Um, 
And he was very upbeat. You know, it's it's a healthy offseason for him. There's no rehab work to be done besides training for the season. At, at the point that we talked to him, he already put in like 30 sessions. Yeah, so he's he ready to go. Right. You know, it, it's it's his last year on this four-year, $73 million deal. And I'm not even talking about him coming back to the Sox. You know, assuming he wants to keep playing, you know, he he needs to have better numbers than what he put up last year. But, I mean, this is a guy who knows how to play the game, who has a, a very meticulous schedule, a, a, a intense work ethic, and knows how to win. I mean, last year I think it was the first time in eight years where he hadn't been in the playoffs. Now, that's partially being part of good teams, but good players kind of gravitate towards good teams, right? I mean, mm-hmm. right. no offense to anyone else, but a guy like Jose Abreu, you weren't going to see him sign with a second division team because right. he wants to win, and he's going to help a team win because he's that good sure. a player. So, yeah, I, I wouldn't, you know, I, I think Grandal had some issues behind the plate, but I think healthy, being able to work on everything, being able to work with the organization, he'll be ready to go. And, you know, you have, you have a it's pretty decent. Now, I, I've mentioned in a couple of stories they could add another catcher because of the fact that if you don't know Grandal is coming back after this year, is our Sebi Zavala and Carlos Perez, you know, your immediate future? Or do you go out after next season and find someone else to pair with them, you know, if Grandal's not back? So, all interesting situations to figure out kind of as the as the offseason goes on. Yeah, we're going to talk a little bit about that and pick your brain on those a little bit too. But, you know, you brought up uh, uh, Jose Abreu. And by the way, your piece on him that came out, I think, either last night or this morning was outstanding. Thank um, you. I appreciate it. Was it was re- really, really well done for what it's worth from this amateur guy over here. Um, my 12-year-old son, notwithstanding, who um, – is a huge Jose Abreu fan, and I had to break the news that Jose signed with the Houston Astros yesterday. Um, does this create a pathway for Andrew Vaughn to play first base full-time? And the reason why I ask that is because I think it's a foregone conclusion that a lot of people feel that they let Abreu walk because they want Vaughn to play first base and stop shuffling him around in the outfield. As a corollary to that question, Scott, where does Gavin, she- where does Gavin Sheets fit into that? Yeah, it's funny you mentioned your son. I have a really good friend who lives downstate whose son is a baseball diehard and actually a pretty good little player at six years, seven years old. And he was a big Harrison Bader fan and had the same reaction <laughs> when the Cardinals traded him to the Yankees. Couldn't understand why the Cardinals would, would do that. But, yeah, I mean, Jose is a, a, is an icon, right? He's an organization. Right. Staple Club is a number retired someday. He's third all-time in home runs, which shows you the Sox didn't hit a lot of home runs in their career because he's only been there nine years. That it also sure. shows you, also shows you how how well he did over his nine years. You know, it's Thomas and Canarco who are above almost everyone in a lot of categories, and then it's Jose at two forty three. Not only was he a great player, great leader, and yes, I know you know this is the caveat. People always say, well, he's a great leader, and they won two playoff games during his time, but not all him. You know, it's not all right, his responsibility. Right. People were talking about how you know he hit like one home run over his last whatever it was forty games last year. Okay, but he was hitting the ball. He was playing every day. Yeah. The guy's there every day. This is a guy who ran full force in the Hunter Dozier, who goes about 6'4", 260 off the top of my head. And that would have, you know, knocked people out for months, most people. And he was playing. He played the next night. Right. So, I mean, it's it's he was a pretty amazing guy in that it was all about the team. You kind of saw him develop. He kind of figured things out a little physically. You see the picture of him when he first joined the team in 14. He wasn't heavy. He was just a bigger dude. And even he joked about that when I asked him this year during an interview, like, what was different between now and then? He said, well, I'm a little thinner, you know. And I, I just – I think it's sad, but I think it happens, right? right. We talked today about the Zoom about – he was looking at some picture on Twitter where Joe Creedy was in a Twins uniform and Burley was in a Marlins uniform and Frank was in an A's uniform. 
And, you know, people leave. That's what happens in the game. I think Jose probably, he didn't really say this, but I think just the difference of his tone from last time versus this time in the free agency, I think he was ready to go. I think he mm-hmm. was ready for a change too. I always thought Houston was the perfect fit. Absolutely. They're a great team. Yeah. I, I think Guriel was a very nice player for them. Guriel won a batting title two years ago. He's one of the best right. defensive first basemen in the game. But I think Jose gives you that and power on top. And I think Jose will crush it with those Crawford boxes. And I think Jose will focus less on the on-base, which he's, I think he tied a career high with 383 OBP last year, and look more for the, you know, to just hit the ball hard places again. I think he's going to be great there. And But the flip side is, with the Sox roster construction, now you can put that on the Sox, that it's not great roster construction, or just the way things worked out. You have a lot of guys who can play first base or DH. You know, Aloy Jimenez, Yasmani Grandal, who's going to catch too, obviously. Andrew Vaughn, Gavin Sheets. And, you know, Andrew Vaughn worked his tail. Andrew Vaughn was thrown into the outfield in 2021 when Aloy hurt himself mm-hmm. on a, you know, mis- kind of misguided attempt at a spring training home run. And all he had played left field, except maybe a few, you know, batting practice drills, was during the alternate side in 2020. And did what he could. He wasn't a great outfielder, but he was developing. He was getting a little more comfortable. Same with Gavin Sheets. I thought Gavin had maybe a little better feel for the outfield than Andrew did. And he was working at it, too. But I think, you know, I know Rick and the White Sox believe guys in that opposition is going to make this team even better. So Andrew Vaughn was drafted as a first baseman. That's what he's going to be now. The Sox are not adding a first baseman. He's going to be at first. And again, Aloy enjoys playing left field. He was, you know, at times okay, but wasn't a great left fielder. So he's better off as a DH. Now, if you could have trusted Eloy and left, you probably could have had Jose stay, right? I don't know if you're, right, I don't think right. they're going to play Jose. I don't think they were giving Jose 360. You know, that's when he ended up here, 358, whatever he got from Houston. But you could have had Jose and Vaughn split time at DH in first base along with, you know, Gavin Sheets. But Eloy is going to be mostly DH. So it makes sense. In some ways, it does make sense that he left because of the roster construction. And others, you look at it and say, well, if you're trying to win, you want to keep your best guys. And Jose clearly was that, right? So right. you just move on. And now you see with Jose gone, what do they do to fill the spots? They still have left field open. You know, they still have second base. They have, you know, internal candidates for both. But, you know, it looks like Oscar Colas is going to be in right. So now what do they do to fill the spot? Do they kind of piece it together? Or do they go out and make a trade or make a statement and sign, you know, some maybe, you know, slightly upper tier guy to play left field? So, yeah, it, it's a weird day, and fans were, for the most part, not happy, and understandably so. The guy was an absolute icon. But, you know, even the press conference, another press conference is all about Houston today, but you could see he had moved on. It was time for, you know, and, and that's right. the, it's like people who complain about, you know, Tony last year. Okay, it didn't work. Not a good season, but he's not the manager anymore, so you got to focus on now. You know, mm-hmm. you got to right. focus on right. what's happening now, what the team can do going forward. Um. I just wanted to. You brought Collas in, in uh, for a moment there, and and uh, wanted your opinion if he might be ready for for getting the duties on on the right field on twenty twenty three, or maybe it would be better to go. You know, there is there is a, a few. There are a few high caliber guys up out there: Peralta, Bellinger, Benintendi. Which would be a better match for the for the team? Yeah, I think, you know, you could have Colas in right field and still add a guy like Ben Attendee to play left field. But I, I think Colas is going to be the right fielder this year. I really do. I think and I for a while I thought maybe he wouldn't be at, out of spring training, but I think he's going to be. I think he is going to be the guy. Mm-hmm. So I think, you know, he showed he's ready. He's an old, little older prospect, too. I think yeah. he's 24. So I think, you know, it's time to give him the chance. And the thing is, 
if the lineup performs like it should, you have Tim Anderson, Yohan Moncada, uh, Yasmani Grandal, Aloy Jimenez, Luis Roberts. So you're not you're not counting on Oscar Colas to hit you know mm-hmm. 35 home runs and hit 300 in his first year. He's just gotta <laughs> you know be himself, play his way. And and the good thing for them is he is a center fielder defensively. He can play center field. Played a lot of center field last year, but will be playing right field for the Sox. So you have a, a, a you know that defensive combination of Robert and Colas will be outstanding in center field and right. Right. So it's, 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 it's interesting. Yeah, that's interesting because, you know, one of the knocks that people who don't know anything like me say is that, you know, they don't know what he is as an outfielder. Is he right. he's at adi- You're saying that he's more than adequate to play right field. Yeah, I mean, whatever the minor league shows, you know, you'll see for sure what happens when they come to the majors. You know, that that's the biggest. Hit. But yeah, what he's shown so far, he can he can certainly handle himself defensively out there. That's cool. That's cool. So let, let's switch a little bit to pitching now and started pitching uh, because as you said earlier Julito well, well he had a, an off year and uh, we were wondering what what could be the key to to the turner to for him to have a turnaround uh, was he doing something different or that he was that was detected by the by the staff or um, I don't know anything mechanics or anything or just you know simply one of those off years that pitchers sometimes have. I think it was just an off year. You know, I think at certain starts, his velocity was a little down, but, you know, this is a guy you're talking about who the previous three years was um, as good as any start in the American League, you know? Right. You have to understand that Gio is also, this is his last year of being arbitration eligible. So, you know, he'll be a free agent most likely unless something has worked out with the Sox, you know, assuming both sides can come to an understanding. So he'll be a free agent after 23. So yeah, I mean it's you know it's always uh, look at what Rodon did you know before he right. became before he, ended, he had a great season. Giolito works his tail off. He's a, a kind of a student of the game, almost kind of like a professor of the game. I don't know if he'd laugh if he heard me say that, but really you know wants to find out the ins and outs. So I can tell you he's working hard. Ethan Katz told us the pitching coach Luke is working hard in California. So you know he didn't take it lightly. He was not happy, but it happened. So again. You got to move forward and hope that, you know, the three years were more of what he's about and that last year was just an offseason and he'll be able to get it back together. And I think the Sox believe that. Sox have, you know, when they make the Clevenger signing official, the Sox have a really good rotation. It's all right-handed, but Cease, Giolito, Lynn, Kopech, and Clevenger is a pretty good group with Davis Martin, you know, kind of waiting in the wings there after a pretty decent run last year for the Sox. I would agree with you on that. And, you know, one thing I wanted to ask you, Scott, too, Uh, you know, Twitter, everybody's an expert on Twitter when it comes to their favorite team. But there's a lot of chatter of, of fans, of people calling for the trading of uh, Lucas Giolito. And I don't see that being a possibility at this time. Do you? It doesn't make any sense to me. Well, I think the only reason you do it is if you really felt like this was going to be the last year with him and you got something really solid in return. And, you know, but I mean, you're obviously trading low based on last year, based on 2022. Now, I think Lucas is a, you know, a prime starter. I think he's a, you know, top of the rotation. Probably won't be opening day this year because what Cease did last year. But still, you know, an opening day starter a couple times over. I think he's still right up there. So, yeah, I mean, I, I think, you know, Jerry once, Jerry Reinsdorf once joked in the winter meetings that the only guy he ever had that was untradeable wore 23 for the Bulls. So, you know, they traded Chris Sale, for God's sake. So, anyone can be moved. And I think if the right offer is there, You may see. I, I think you're, it's more. You're more likely to see a trade involving Giolito than Dylan Cease, for example, because Lucas is in his last year and just you know trying to figure out if he's going to be here behind that. Or I'm sorry, beyond that. 
but I still think he'll be. I, my guess right now is I'm we're sitting here taping this now is that he'll be part of the rotation opening, but that could change in a week when we're in San Diego. And and we have the the deal of the of the day, Mike Levinger now, uh, and and uh, of course that that looks like a an awesome fit for for Chicago. Although I thought that they were going to look for a left handed because as you mentioned, they, they are pretty much right. uh, you know all right handed, but. I mean, you can do a lot worse than adding than adding Clevenger, right? Yeah, Clevenger's will be another year removed from his Tommy John surgery. He had a little bit of a knee issue yesterday. He struggled in the playoffs, but just some people I know who know him, he seems like a really kind of upbeat, knowledgeable character. And maybe mm -hmm. that's what the Sox need in that clubhouse. Maybe the Sox were missing that last year. You know, one of the guys who brings so much energy to that clubhouse on a daily basis is T.A., Tim Anderson. Oh, yeah. And he was, he was hurt, you know, from, mm -hmm. I guess, like August 5th on, he didn't play last year. So you mm -hmm. notice his absence when he's gone. You, you notice oh, sure. him not, you know, him not being there. So maybe you need a guy like Clevenger. And besides that, Clevenger's a, a pretty good pitcher when, you know, healthy. And now I know his strikeout rate dropped last year and his velocity dropped a little bit. But again, yeah. it's one year out of Tommy John, the first year of pitching out of Tommy John. Sox were very strongly after him in 2020. From what I remember, you know, they tried to get him offering Madrigal and Dunning, and it did not work out. I don't think Cleveland was probably real keen on trading Mike Clevenger within the division. And sure. look who Cleveland got in that deal. You know, I mean, Cleveland got like half, literally, not literally, but like a quarter of their playoff team right. came from San Diego in that deal. Naylor uh, was, was a menace in that deal, possibly. I know Arias yeah. was. Hedges, Hedges ended up being a very yeah. nice catcher. Yeah, yeah. So it's it's uh, and Aquantro, who was their number three guy, right, for most of the year behind uh, Bieber and McKenzie. So yeah, yeah. I think it's a, you know once it becomes official, it's a nice it's a nice pickup for them. It's a good kind of as as the you know the analytic people say it's a good one year prove it deal for Mike Clevenger. Right. The, the only bad thing about Clevenger is that he will give me a seizure watching him pitch or all that. <laughs> You know, oh my God! <laughs> That's so. I feel but he does it with great hair, Carlos. He does it with great I hair. Say, I no think doubt. he has he has wilder hair than I do right now. So <laughs> he'll, awesome. He'll have that over me for sure. <laughs> Scott, Scott, you know, you talked a little bit earlier about the bullpen, and I think you know um, there was a lot of bad vibes thrown around uh, by casual fans again uh, towards the bullpen last year, which actually performed pretty well most of the year. How do you see that shaking out for them this year? I mean, I know Garrett Crochet is going to be back at some point from injury. Um, and Ethan Katz, I think, and maybe in an interview with you even, had said that um, he was probably going to be in the bullpen. Right. And, and now, obviously, they won't need him as a starter with the guys that they have lined up. How do you see this shaking out with him and guys like Ronaldo Lopez? Well, obviously, we know Hendricks is the closer. They've got Bummer, Joe Kelly, Graveman. Is it possible that they trade from that surplus to try to fill another hole somewhere? Um, it, a lot of rumor has been, and you would know better than me, obviously, but that they're kind of coming up to where they're comfortable salary-wise um, and maybe within 10 or $15 million of where that could be. Do you see them trading from that to maybe try to fill another hole, or do you think that they're going to leave that bullpen intact? Yeah, you never know on the socks of their budget because they seem, if they need someone, they find the room to kind of get them. But Rick Hahn did tell reporters in the GM meetings, which I was not at for that, that you know he seemed it seemed more likely trades than free agency to you know to to fill the needs and they already did go one through free agency with Clevenger. I, I think the vibes of the bullpen last year. I think people liked the bullpen they had. I think they just were kind of maybe a little not miffed but a little curious that there was so much money invested in the bullpen. You know, mm -hmm. and 
yeah, I think they could make a move and still be strong. You know, Crochet will be back at some point. Excuse me. And as um, Ethan Katz said in that Zoom with us, that he probably will not be a starter this year, but he, I think he'll be in that Kopech hybrid role mm-hmm. where, you know, he'll go a little longer at times. He'll probably get some spot starts here and there, and that'll build the innings up. You know, he didn't pitch last year, so right, it's kind of right. hard without any starting experience to send him in and saying, you're a starter now. You know, I know that's what he wants to do, and I know the Sox would like him to do that, but it's kind of hard to jump him into that. But, yeah, there's some room there. You know, I mean, you have a good group. I mean, Lopez was a revelation of the bullpen, and Ethan Katz said he really thinks now that Lopez wants to be a closer more than return to the rotation. So, you have one, if not the game's best closer in the top three or four in Liam Hendricks, Kendall Graveman's and Aaron Bummer, great setup guys, Joe Kelly, Garrett Crochet, um, you know, Ronaldo Lopez, Jimmy Lambert had a nice year. Jose Ruiz, Jose Ruiz is good in kind of non high leverage roles. So it's a deep bullpen and you have other guys coming up, you know, younger guys coming up. So it'll be interesting to see what they, what they do with that. You know, I, I don't know how active they'll be in San Diego, but they certainly have some options to maneuver. It's interesting. Let's go to the favorite talk around the, the White Sox for Mike. Second base. So, oh. obviously, Lira Garcia what didn't work. But what are the options for, for the Sox, you know? Uh, Lenin Sosa, Roman Gonzalez. What, 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 what? It certainly looks like they, they should be looking for, for a second baseman somewhere. Maybe, maybe Segura is too expensive. or the, But there are some options. Do you think that they will reach for one? I mean, right now, like you said, you have Leary, who's got two more years left, counting this one. You have Romy Gonzalez, who played very well last year. I think he had a little bit of a slow finish, but really kind of showed his ability for, for a good stretch there. Sosa did not do, I think he was four for 35 in the major league, but also his first experience. And he was kind of up and down a couple times. Look at his minor league numbers, and he was great. Now you got to do it at the major league level, right? You don't get any credit. You don't get any bonus points carried up to the majors if you're good in the minors. So he's yeah. there, too. But if you're looking for a left-handed bat, I know people keep talking about after Hunter Renfro was traded by Milwaukee, will the Brewers trade Colton Wong? But he's Colton also, Wong. I believe his option was picked up for $10 million, right? right so right. you're not you're not getting him for free. So, I mean, right. you know, what, can you add a $10 million guy in second and then still fill in in left field and, you know, whatever else you need to add? You may need to add a couple outfielders. So I, I think second base could be internal, but I also think, it's an area where you could go for a left-handed bat. So we'll see what they do. I don't know about, you know, Segura certainly would be a guy that would make sense as well, too. Good veteran presence on a team that wants to win. But they do have a couple options and a couple options who have played quite frequently. And, you know, I mean, I, you feel bad for Leary Garcia because mm-hmm. the guy had a pretty decent season, I think, in 21. Yes, he and did. Just, and just from the start last year was just bad. And he, you know, talked about it a couple times. He just was not good. And then on top of it, you have the three-year, was it $15.5 million deal for him. He's now, you know, far and away the longest tenured guy, I think, in the White Sox. And I think if he if he plays out this deal, this I guess this is his this is 11th year with the White Sox, I want to say. I think it's 12 years he plays out all three. But, you know, he shouldn't be the, – the idea was not for him to get 500 bats in a season. It's, you know, 300, right. 320, something in there. So I think if you use him in that role and play him all over, you know, he can play short, he can play third, he can play second. He plays all the outfield. He's pitched for him, for God's sake. So, right, right. you know, I mean, he can do a little bit of everything. But I think he was kind of emblematic for fans as, you know, just this is why the team's bad. And it really wasn't just him. It was a whole big right. thing that just went wrong last year. But he did not have a good season. So I, I know he's better than what he was last year. And he knows sure. he's better than what he was last year. 
Well, and, you know, they used him um, in a super utility role when he was really successful in 21. And, God, dude, that that bomb that he hit against Houston in the playoffs is still yeah. traveling. That ball was killed. I was at yes. that game. It was pretty wild. And I think he just got overexposed last year just because of all the injuries. He had to play more than right. what he was used to playing. And, yeah, I think back in a super utility role, he's a, a very useful guy on that team. So, Carlos, I'm going to defend him. <laughs> I know that you're not used to me doing that. but oh I'm going to defend him. This is, you know, breaking it's the, news. My it's, it's, a, it's, it's, it's the Christmas season. It's the Christmas season. So we're going to do That's that. Funny. So, so Scott, we're getting into the home stretch here. Thank you again for your time, everybody. Here, sure. we're, we're here with Scott Merkin and uh, the senior writer at MLB.com. I think I can't imagine anyone's been there longer than you have. So uh, it's been our pleasure to have you on tonight. We had a couple of really fast questions that we kind of sure. wanted to end with here for you. A couple of fun ones as well. Sure. Do you think... Is there a minor leaguer besides Colas who we talked about that you think has a chance to make a mark in the 2023 season and beyond? So, I, you know, Colson Montgomery had a great year last year for the Sox, their top pick from, from I guess it was two drafts ago, right? Or was it last year? No, it was two drafts ago. They, everything runs together for me at this point. But, yeah, because the kid from Oswego was the, the pitcher, Noah Schultz, was last year. Right, right. So two years ago. And I remember, you know, I had talked, I'd done a story and talked to some people when I posted the story, some people from his area contacted me and said, hey, just so you know, this kid was a pro player when he was playing high school, you know, basketball and baseball in Indiana. Let's face it, high school basketball in Indiana is pretty much being in the pros, right? Um, <laughs> so I mentioned that to Chris Getz during an interview last year, and Chris Getz looked like I asked him for money. You know, he was like, and Chris is the best, another a fellow Wolverine like myself. And, you know, I think he was kind of like, Slow the boat a little bit here. You know, he just, he didn't say that. He's very, like, proper in interviews. But he kind of looked at me like, let's get him through to Charlotte and see what he does there. But, you know, I think that's a guy who could make a quick jump. I think Sean Burke, who's a pitcher, mm-hmm. is someone who could make a move quickly. Carlos Perez may be in the, you know, the picture. Got a little bit of time last year, depending on how they want to go, catching-wise. So, again, most of their guys are still a little ways away. You know, I mean, Yoki Suspedes, you know, where, where does he stand? Now with Colas making the move up, you know, Yolke, a guy who could be a utility, you know, like a, a fourth outfielder, fifth outfielder type of guy. So, you know, there's some guys in the upper level, but there's also some guys, I think, who are, they're, they're higher end guys. I, I got a little grief because in the uh, winter, winter, yeah, the winter meetings preview, I said their system is starting to get noticed a little bit for some of the upside they have and the younger guys, even though the system is still ranked low, but you can have, good players, even though your system overall is not ranked high. And I think guys are starting to show a little bit that it's not as barren as people think, but I'm not sure mm-hmm. aside from the guys I mentioned who will jump up next year. Next year is really a team, you know, designed to win, win, right. Make right. the playoffs, maybe, you know, contend for a world series. So you take what you can get in terms of the younger guys, but I, I think Colas is the main one who's going to help them at the outset. Makes total sense. So Scott, you've been covering the White Sox for almost half of your life, I would say. Right. So who is your <laughs> I, I'm saying, I'm, that. that's very uh, nice okay. of you that's very nice yeah. of you but but a little less <laughs> i always i always shoot less you know so um who would you, who would you say is your favorite player that you've covered in that time who the, the most fun guy maybe the the guy that you really enjoyed the most if any well, i mean it's it's hard to say and it's kind of unfair to say not that really any player i think is gonna call me and say hey you didn't name me you know i'm sure they have other things to do but I'd have to put like a team together. Like I still talk to AJ. AJ still gives me grief about Michigan sports. I remember uh, the day that Michigan lost to Appalachian State, who won a national title that year by winning football. The right, Sox were in right. Cleveland, and I was there. 
and just was incessantly ribbed by him for, you know, Michigan. He's a big Florida guy. Right. He's pretty, pretty bad this year. And uh, so, you know, Brian Anderson is a great guy to deal with. Chris Sale, tremendous dude. Jose Abreu. One thing about Jose Abreu that I always found interesting is Jose Abreu can speak, you know, English, but he chooses to do the interview with the great interpreter they have, Billy Russo. And I understand that. He wants to be comfortable in his. But you always got the feel. And I know a little bit of Spanish, not enough to do an interview, but a little bit to understand. But even without that, you always got the feel of what he was saying, even through an interpreter. He was that kind of passionate of a guy that you understood when he was pissed, understood when he was happy about something, or understood where he was like kind of just proud of what they did. So, so many guys, Mark Burley, Paul Canerco, there's just, you know, great guys. I really have been lucky in that. I don't want to jinx it, but that in, you know, now the 21st season, there haven't been a lot of bad guys that I've dealt with in, in time. But those are just a few of them. And, you know, I'm thankful for all of them who were, who were easy to deal with. Uh, Aaron Bummer has been great. I talked to him a lot about Big Ten football. Jake mm-hmm. Berger has been a great story to cover with what he's gone through to get to where he is. Gavin Sheets was great this year. So, you know, we could do another 10 minutes just on stories yeah. about the different guys I covered. So I, I can't really name one, but there's a group right there. Wow, that's awesome. Well, Adam, Scott, Adam you know, Dunn. I can't forget Adam Dunn, too. He was outstanding. Yeah, he's he always seemed like he was a really funny guy. You just would go into the games and the way he interacted with fans, he seemed like he didn't take himself too seriously. He was. You know? He was. He was, a, that's he was cool. a great guy. That's cool. Well, Scott, we've taken about 45 minutes of your time. And we know that you're not feeling 100%, so we really appreciate you jumping on with us and talking about the White Sox. My first love uh, is the White Sox. I grew up about 10 minutes away from the original Comiskey oh, Park. Okay. And, and now live in the far western suburbs, but it's try to get down there for five, ten games a year. Tell us a little bit about where we can find your work and, and plug anything that you're working on right now and let people know where they can find you on Twitter. Sure, you know, MLB.com, uh, WhiteSox.com, and uh, at Scott Merkin on Twitter right now. And then, you know, coming up, it'll be winter meetings starting, good Lord willing, starting Sunday and going through uh, Wednesday's Rule 5 draft, which I think is about 4 o'clock Chicago time. So it's shortened this year. Usually it's starts on a Sunday, ends on a Thursday. So they've cut one day off the, uh, off the event this year. I, I think there are some people who are actually leaving Wednesday morning because of the fact that the rule five is fun. It's, it's a great experience, but a lot of teams, a lot of the contending teams don't do much in the major league portion of it. So you, know, you can actually go without missing a ton of stuff there. So anyways, but you know, it's something to watch for sure. I, people do have interest in that. So, so that's where you can find it. You know, check me out. Various podcasts, radio interviews, and TV interviews across the area, but uh, that's where you can find me steady at whitesox.com, lb.com, and at Scott Merkin. All right. Well, Scott, thanks again for your time. We're going to take thanks, a quick, guys. We're going to take a quick break right now, and we'll be back with you in a few moments. All right. Welcome back. So I'm here. Sorry, Mike. I, I missed the uh, the interview. You guys were fantastic. Um, I yeah, I had some family obligations. My daughter, um, she had she's in first grade. She had her parent teacher conference. So yeah, it's uh, the podcast is important, but uh, that was a little bit more. Um, but uh, yeah, it went. It was it was great. I was actually so happy because. Her teacher said she's doing great, and you know we've had. Uh, uh, I guess I'll get a little personal here. My my daughter, um, you know, has had some issues around like uh, speaking in front of new people and in social situations. Like really struggled, and, and people would say, "Oh, well, she's shy," and 
you know, it was more than that. It was like an extreme mm-hmm. shyness where she was completely shut down in front of new people because she was very little. Um, and yeah, the teacher told us that like she's one of the most vocal people, uh, vocal kids in the class now, and is like raising her hand all the time. And uh, so yeah, I was uh, thrilled to hear that. So got to celebrate, got to celebrate the wins, my friend. Well, she's she clearly got the talkative side from dad. And she clearly got the intelligence and beauty side from mom. It will, clearly, yes, not. Course. I mean, not that you're not a great looking guy, Chris. I don't mean it that way, but I mean, you know. Yeah, yeah. No, I, I listen. I'm, I'm realistic. I, you know, I don't have any delusions here. You know what's funny though? I was very similar when I was young, not to the extent that she was, but like really super shy. And I, I still consider myself a pretty shy person. Um, but for whatever reason, like in front of a microphone or, you know, like posting videos, like that's been a big step for me personally. Because if you had told me five years ago that I'd be hosting a podcast and putting videos <laughs> online, mm-hmm. like I'd be like, no, 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 no. Like there's there's no effing way. Um, so, you know, it's uh, we're. We're just all we got to keep evolving. Right. And uh, just uh, I've been doing my my own kind of personal development here. And, um, you know, I'm I'm hoping to pass that on on to my daughter and just, yeah, just happy she's doing well. So anyway, um, I know people are here for White Sox talk and uh, follow up here on the interview with Scott Merkin. Again, I thought it was fantastic, really informative. So let me ask you, Mike, anything that really stuck out, any major uh, takeaways from you from uh, from that interview? Well, you know, full disclosure, right? I'm, I'm I think people who listen to us or know who I am on Twitter know that I'm a diehard White Sox fan, first and foremost. And so getting Scott to come on, who is somebody that I've really looked up to for a long time and somebody who I've followed for a really long time uh, was a real boon for us and felt really good. I think the thing that I was surprised at most that he brought up was um, that the White Sox planned to start the season with Oscar Colas playing right field. And I think that's the right call. I just was surprised that they weren't going to do some manipulation, um, you know, with the with the time and sending him down to the minors so that uh, they don't have to pay him another year on the contract. Right. But start the clock early. Um, I was surprised by that. And I, I'm hopeful that Colas is really what he appears to be, which is uh, a really good fielder uh, with some light tower power uh, and playing right field next to uh, Luis Robert, uh, that the outfield will be better immediately. And I know that they're going to try to sign somebody to play left field, whether that be a Michael Conforto type or a Andrew Benintendi type, or whether that's acquired via trade, um, they're going to fill that spot. They're going to be better defensively than they were last year. I just, I was just surprised for him to say that he thinks Colas will start the season with the big club. Yeah, I, I was uh, surprised to hear that as well. Um, is Colas somebody in fantasy that you're going to be interested in? I'm trying to pull up his ADP as we speak. Um, but uh, uh, just off the top of your head, do you feel like that's that's a profile that you're going to be interested in? Hard to say. I mean, I I think um, we don't really know. I mean, he he climbed three levels last year. I I don't know how he's going to be able to sustain that success at the next level. I mean, the White Sox have had a lot of good luck the last few years with Cuban players making it 
and being really mm-hmm. successful, dating back to Alexi Ramirez, obviously Jose Abreu, who's now gone, uh, Luis Robert, Mancada to some extent, right? Um, mm-hmm. That is interesting. I, I never I, really thought about that, but yeah, they've, they've had a lot of Cuban players. Well, Abreu was really the connective tissue there, right? He was right. the guy that kind of reached out to them and brought those guys in. But um, right. Colas, you know, across three levels last year, hit over 323 home runs. I mean, I, he looks like he's the real deal. Um, and they really have nothing to lose by allowing him to play there, especially if they have some uh, other acquisitions that they get to bolster the offense. I mean, I think the feeling uh, that Scott really kind of left us with was, you know, this team really was – they really struggled last year with injury – um, it was very clear that they had a number of guys that were playing far too often. Lori Garcia being an example of a guy who had to play every day, who's really not a guy that can be playing every day. Um, you know, they had Tim Anderson, Robert, and Eloy all played less than 100 games. You have to think that with a return to health, with a real manager, uh, and somebody who really kind of understands the game and the game hasn't passed him by, that they're going to be better. They were 81 and 81 last year and they were awful. So mm-hmm. you got to yeah. think that there's going to be some course correction there. If everything goes the right way, getting Clevenger, I think is a big deal too. I mean, I, I think that that's really kind of under the radar and Scott brought up in the interview that I thought was really interesting that Clevenger's kind of a really interesting clubhouse guy. You know, he's got the, the sleeve tats, the really long hair. He's kind of got a devil may care attitude. And the Sox got a lot of guys that are like super serious. Like they didn't really seem like they were having any fun last year. He might be somebody that comes in and kind of, you know, rattles the cage a little bit and gets those guys having a little bit more fun and playing the way that they did two years ago when Tim Anderson was leading the charge and talking about, you know, kind of reinventing the game, changing the game, the, the way that it's played. So you know, as a White Sox fan, I, I'm cautiously optimistic that they're going to be better next year. They still have a couple of holes that they need to fill, in my opinion. Uh, second base and left field are not going to play themselves. Vaughn should slot in and play first. Uh, but I think that we covered that in the podcast, and I think that that makes total sense. Eloy to DH makes total sense. He looks like he's playing left field on skates. I've been really clear on this point. I want him out of left field. I don't want him to get – he's six foot five, 250-pound monster guy running he's around in the outfield. I mean, he's Just let him hit. Yeah. 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 And I, I think yeah, that they, that's they what they're going to do. They need to keep do. him in the lineup. Yeah. Absolutely. Uh, uh, I'm tired of seeing the Eloy in heaven meme, you know, like, <laughs> I mean, I love it. it. It gets me a good laugh. Like, I forget who it was that was posting it. Like, every time a White Sox player got injured, like, they would post the, the meme of, of heaven and they put the, the picture of the player. I, I thought that was freaking hilarious. But um, yeah, I bet you yeah. did. Um, yeah. yeah. Well, I, yeah, I, it's easy. For me to laugh. <laughs> I'm sure it wasn't for you. Um, yeah, I can't remember a more disappointing White Sox season in my years of following the team. I mean, it was really disappointing. They looked like they were going to be on the cusp of playoff um, contention and maybe even going a little bit further. And um, it just it was awful. You know, but it, it felt like such a disappointment. But I didn't even really notice like they they were still a 500 team, even with yes. a lot, a lot going wrong. Uh, yeah, a so lot of really t- tough stuff going on there for sure. Yeah, yeah. Um, f- for so. anybody listening, one of the things that you might want to do is check out Carlos Marcano, our brother on this podcast. Check out the piece that he just wrote on Lucas Giolito, which was fascinating um, this week. Uh, I think he did it for Baseball Prospectus. Uh, check him out on, on Twitter. 
uh, at CA Marcano and check out his piece there because uh, if Giolito bounces back the way that Carlos thinks that he can and the way that I think a lot of people think that he can, boy, they're going to have a pretty good rotation there. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, Carlos does fantastic work, so uh, definitely encourage people to go check that out. Uh, but let me just note something here on Lucas Giolito. Uh, I was doing a deeper dive on him, and I was really surprised to see this. It wasn't even that deep that I had to go. I looked at his XFIP. It was 3.66 last year, mm-hmm. which was actually lower than his XFIP in 2021. So, Mike, what do you think about that? I mean, I know these uh, ERA, um, the, these underlying metrics, they don't tell the whole story, right? There's a lot more that mm-hmm. goes into it, but they give us kind of a rough estimate of, of a pitcher's skill level. And his numbers, like his 3.66 XFIP last year, um, that was pretty much indicated that he was the same pitcher, more or less. So mm-hmm. what are your thoughts on that? Yeah, I think personally, I think he's going to come at a discount. And I think a lot of people, um, you know, last year at this time, people were putting him top 10, top 12 starting pitchers and drafting him as an ace. Well, dude, he was he was going second round last Mm -hmm. year. It's the end of second round in NFC drafts right now. He's going around pick. I think I saw like 150, 160. Mm -hmm. I mean, I don't know if that price is going to stay that good or that cheap. But I'll be honest, I, I think, and he burned me on a couple teams last year. Sure, so sure he did. It's hard to get over that. But again, when we're when we're playing this game, we got to throw that shit out the window. Whatever, yeah. <laughs> whatever feelings you have towards a player, whether they burned you or not, like that's got to be irrelevant. You know, yeah. you just have to you, you have to be kind of like cold and calculating about this game if you really want to be successful. And well, uh, yeah, absolutely. You know, and for me, like I'm throwing all of that away, throwing out last season and I'm taking him pretty much all day at that price. And I'll he'll be a guy I'll be even aggressive, more aggressive on than that. You know, Mm -hmm. like if he's there around like pick, say, 130 and just yeah, throwing out a number. But like I'm I'm willing to take him there because you're going to get strikeouts. Yes. Minimum. And we've seen what the upside is. He had three years of near ace level production um and again was going in the second round last year he's healthy that's the other thing like there's no like injury concern or anything that would warrant a discount like that i know it was a terrible year last year but i don't know how much of a different pitcher he is the one thing that Mm -hmm. does concern me looking at his fastball velo it did go down last year it went down by like uh, almost two ticks. So I, yep, I want to yep. know what's going on with that. But what stood out to me about the interview with Merkin, Scott Merkin, is that he talked about Giolito is really a student of the game. Yes. You know, a guy that wants to get better. That can be a detriment sometimes. I'm not going to deny that. But, you know, sometimes guys tinker too much. But that uh, characteristic of his gives me encouragement that he's going to figure out what went wrong and we can expect to bounce back next season. Totally agree with you. And I think, um, you know, Lucas is uh, is the type of guy that I wish that I knew. You know, he's a very cerebral guy. He's very mm-hmm. smart, well-spoken, funny. 
seems like a really normal guy and a really good guy. And I love rooting for him, you know, and it was obvious last year that the struggles really pained him. You know, mm-hmm. um, he was really, you'd see him in a dugout running his hands through his hair. He looked like he was really struggling. And one of the things that I thought was really interesting that a lot of people haven't talked about that I think is part of this too, is that, you know, he put on 20 pounds of muscle last year. Uh, in the off season because he has a hard time keeping weight on during the season. He's six foot six. He's a big guy. Mm-hmm. And uh, he put that weight on and it, it seemed like it maybe threw him off a little bit. Now I, I'm no dietitian. I'm nobody that's a coach of any kind of with that type of stuff. But I wonder if that really had some issues with him because then he had, if you remember, he had those little nagging injuries during the season. He had the oblique issue where he missed like two weeks and, I wonder if some of that had to do with that weight gain. He was, I mean, he looked fantastic, but I wonder if that was part of it, that maybe that threw off his mechanics. You know, the other thing that a lot of people who um, are, you know, that live outside of Chicago might not know is that Ethan Katz was his pitching coach in high school, um, who also coached Max Freed, who also coached Jack Flaherty. They were all three on the same high school team, if you can believe that. Um, Yeah, wow is right. And, um, so long story short, um, Katz and, and Giolito are really, really close. And Katz is a really smart guy, too. I really think they're going to figure it out. I think if you look at what Carlos wrote about, you know, the thing that I had broached to Carlos privately a couple of weeks ago was, I don't know what happened with his changeup. I mean, his changeup was deadly when he was producing those three seasons you were talking about before. And Carlos really kind of took a deep dive. And I don't want to steal his thunder. I want people to go read his article. But it really had a lot to do with where that ball is placed. And I and I had suggested that to Carlos as just a hypothesis. And then he really found some evidence that showed that that was a key issue, where where that where the, the command was of the changeup. And if he gets that right, I think he's going to be better. The other thing that's interesting about Giolito is if you look at his last five or six starts, he was better. There was something that was going on mechanically, something that he changed there. What it was, I don't know exactly. I had kind of lost a little bit of hope and interest at that point and kind of was you know, trying to hold on to my last level of serotonin there watching the White Sox uh, pathetically end their season. And um, he something happened. And so maybe he hit on something that he can take into 23 that will get him back into that spot. Now, remember, too, now, with the development of Cease, and with Lynn being present there, Giolito no longer really has to be the ace. I mean, Lynn had a better season than Giolito last year, and Cease was obviously unhittable all season. So, you know, you're talking about a guy then at 153 ADP that maybe is your third starter. I'm all in. I'm all in. Yeah, um, yeah. and let me just point out his K minus walk percentage, which is like the most rough indicator, but very predictive. Still better than it, it wasn't horrendous. It was, I, I believe, around seventeen percent. Still better than Alec Manoa, who's going ninety picks ahead of him. You know, so I, I think again, you know, we don't, we don't even have to get as granular as we just did. Like, just if you zoom out, and I like to do this sometimes when I'm like thinking about whether I'm interested in a player. Just, just zoom out and look at. Okay, his ADP last year was this. All right, close to mm-hmm. whatever, 25, 30. And his ADP now is 160. What changed to warrant that? Okay, again, bad year. Um, but he's not injured. Mm-hmm. Nothing, like he's still on the same team. He's still getting strikeouts. Like, I think, again, it's hey, we're on the same page here. I think it's a, it's a no-brainer. And for those of you who are like, feel just you got burned by him, get over it. 
Right, yep, let it go. Yep. Let it go. Um, all right. So we got a new segment. Uh, and I'm gonna call this a numbers game. And what I'm gonna do is I'm gonna give you the name of a player and give you one number that is associated with that player, and you have to guess what that number is in relation to them. So we're gonna start with Tim Anderson. And the number is point zero nine three. Hmm. No idea. Um, that's what I'm trying to think. I've not, that's not one number that I've heard attached to him. Okay. All right. Point zero nine three was Tim Anderson's isolated slugging percentage last season. Mm. That's bad. Right. That's real bad. Like, that's bad. <laughs> uh, I mean, he still had the average, you know, he still hit over 300, didn't play a full season, which is also part of the problem with him. He's he's missed time multiple years now with, uh, I believe you would know better than me. I believe it's been like soft tissue injuries, right? Was it hamstring or groin? Yeah, he, he, had, a broke, he had a broken hand at the end of the season last year. Yeah, he's had some, okay. they've had groin and hamstring issues have besieged this team uh, in the last couple of years. Yeah, can they can they get a real trainer? I mean, come on. Let's, uh, and even like you brought up just quickly, like Giolito, he's putting it on weight. Like who's telling these guys to put on weight? Like <laughs> pitchers, you know, I remember when Syndergaard put on, you remember like a couple years ago during the off oh, yeah. season, that yeah, picture of him with his shirt off. He looked like a, a freaking bodybuilder. What are we doing? As a pitcher, you need to be flexible. Like, why are we, it just never makes sense to me. I don't know who's guiding these players to do this but who knows yeah it's just crazy with the amount of injuries the white Sox had um so that's that's been an issue for anderson uh no power last year and i don't know if it was the ball or part of the issue with him too is he's just always hitting the ball on the ground yeah he's got a very uh very high ground ball percentage over 50 percent pretty much every year it was 55 percent last year and if you combine a lot of ground balls with not so great quality of contact in the form of a, uh, let's see here. Okay, so it was a 5.8% barrel rate. Not great. Um, you're just, you're not going to hit many home runs. And where he's currently going, he's going like around pick 85. I want no part of Tim Anderson, you know? Like, yeah, he'll give yeah. me some steals. But, but what happens if he pulls a hamstring again? Are yeah, they going to be aggressive kill- with him? definitely not they they want to keep him on the field so if Mm -hmm. he's not gonna steal um you know or if that there's that potential there and it's likely that he's not going to give me much power what is he he's definitely not worth that cause mike what do you think yeah no i think i think there was a lot of mistakes made in in prognosticating him last year right i mean you know people are saying oh he's a 2020 guy he doesn't really have twenty home run power. I mean, like he 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 hits them in bunches and and whatnot, but like the twenty steals is more you know likely to be in play than twenty home runs. I mean, he had six home runs last year. I think he had about thirteen steals, and you were paying him as a top five shortstop, right? Obviously, he didn't return that. You're also getting a guy that's got a really high batting average, and so you you know that he's going to probably hit three hundred, which is insane. Because when you said point oh nine three, my first thought was probably his walk percentage. He doesn't he doesn't walk, right? Mm-hmm. But he still hits three hundred every year, no matter what. And so I think that kind of baked in that price a little bit. Like, oh my god, he's hitting three twenty. You know, he's going to hit twenty home runs and twenty steals and be this guy. 
you know, you, you got burned. If you drafted him where you took him last year and got six home runs and 13 steals out of him, that means you didn't win. And they, you were like yeah. me because then I had him a number of him uh, of shares of him in leagues around the board. Yeah. Are you more likely uh, are you more likely to draft a player, a White Sox player, being a fan of them, or are you less likely? Because me personally, I find, and I don't do this intentionally, but I find myself like almost avoiding Yankees mm-hmm. players because I feel like maybe I'm biased. I don't know. Do you do you do the same thing, or are you more? I uh, do, I do, yeah. and I and it's it's. I think there's two reasons why I do it. Number one, I think that the helium on some of these guys, I've seen them play, and so I think, well, geez, I don't know that that guy's worth that much in my opinion when I'm doing these drafts. And the second thing is it makes the games far less enjoyable for me to watch when I'm thinking about my guy trying to do something for my fantasy team as opposed to watching the team that I prefer win. And so um, I've had shares of guys every once in a while, but, you know, like, honestly, I've never – like I've never had Luis Robert. I've had Eloy a couple times. I had a Brayu a bunch, but like I, I really don't have a lot of White Sox guys on my teams usually. Yeah, yeah. For me too, it's like being a Yankees fan. There's always that Yankees tax, right? No matter what. Absolutely. <laughs> so, uh, yeah, I, I feel that might be part of it too. Is that I uh, they're often overvalued. But anyway, yes. this one that, that was a quick That's a great aside, point. Yeah, wanted to go to the uh, the next player here. I've got uh, Michael Kopech. And the number I'm going to give you for him is 9.7. Is that his K rate? Well, no, that would be horrendous. Uh, it, that's his, well, K minus walk percentage, which is still horrendous. Um, <laughs> that number. That's, that's what I meant. <laughs> yeah. Oh, yeah. I, I, I didn't, it didn't come out right. I'm sorry. Yeah. <laughs> um, he was ranked 101st out of pitchers who threw at least 110 innings, that K-walk percentage was 101st out of all pitchers who threw at least 110 innings. That's rough, man. Um, I know he's also he's coming off of knee surgery. He had the surgery in October, dealt with some shoulder inflammation prior to that. People are still, I mean, listen, Michael Kopech, he's uh, a name. He's someone that uh, people were really excited about. He's still got ADP of 305 over the past month, which to me, like he's just, I'll never take him at that price. Uh, I don't know. What, what say you, Mike? I'm not, I'm not a fan. And I, and some of that's because I'm a Sox fan and I get to watch him pitch. And um, there are times where he looks absolutely unhittable and he's dominant. There's other times, the bulk of the times he really struggles with his command. Um, I really think, that his future is in the bullpen. I don't think he's a starter. I don't think that, um, and it, this is just my opinion. Um, when he came back from the Tommy John surgery, I think he's ginger. I, I think he's not really unleashing mm-hmm. as much as what he could be. The slider, curveball, whatever you want to call it. I, I, I think it looks more like a slider. Other people call it a curveball. Um, it's not the guys can just sit on his fastball because he couldn't throw it for a strike last year. I, I I think when he was at his best was when he was in that stopper role in the bullpen. But the problem that the White Sox have is they got like three guys that can do that. Crochet mm-hmm. is a guy that they're looking at to do that. Ronaldo Lopez obviously did it last year and was really good at it. And Kopech was really good at it the year before that. I think he's miscast as a starter. And I, I don't know what they're going to do. I mean, I, I could see them. I asked Scott in the podcast, could you see them – um, trading from a position of perceived strength in the bullpen 
to try to add something that they might be looking for. Because Rick Hahn has said they're more likely to go the trade route than they were to go the free agent route. Do you look at you trading one of those guys to get the outfielder that you crave for left field or to get the second baseman that you really need to make sure that Lurie doesn't play every day? And, you know, that's an interesting question because I think Crochet has that first round pedigree. He's a two pitch guy as well. Like they're kind of the same guy, right? Like, except they're different handed. So I wonder if maybe they might do something like that. I, I, I think that they're going to put Kopech back in the rotation. They talked about it at the end of the season. You know, if we could get him to 85 pitches in five innings, but this guy's never going to throw 85 pitches in five innings. It's always going to be, he's going to be in the third inning. He's going to be at 85 and then he's going to put a strain on your bullpen. I just don't think he's worth it. I don't find him draftable uh, in any of the leagues that I'm going to be in. Totally out on Kopech. I uh, just want to ask you, you mentioned Lurie Garcia. You, you're you a big Lurie Garcia fan, right? Am I, am I right? Listen, so I talked about this with Carlos, right? And Carlos kind of threw, threw me under the bus with Scott, too, on this one. It's not that I dislike Lurie as a player. I, he owned the fact that he sucked last year. He was terrible last year. But he was also playing every day. He's not, he's not a guy that can get 500 at-bats. If they can limit him to 300 at-bats and he's a super utility guy, I have no problem That's with him playing around the yeah. field. I, I like him. He's a, he plays hard. He's a long-tenured White Sox guy. He seems to have fun. He seems like he's a really good dude. Like, I just don't want him playing right field, man. That sucks. As a fan, like, there's no way you can look at that team and say, yeah, we've got World Series aspirations with a five foot six inch guy playing right field. You know what I mean? Hey, like, hey, hey, watch it. I'm 5'7", all right? <laughs> I, I know you are. That's why I said it. Yeah. <laughs> Take it easy, all right? Well, listen, I, I had ordered a Lurie Garcia um, authentic jersey for you. So should I still have that sent to you? I'll, that was going to be your Christmas gift. You know, the problem is that I'll probably look like Baby Huey in it because I'm 5'10 and like 240 and he's, you know, 5'7 and you know, 5'8, be, 150 pounds. Yeah. Might be an interesting look for me, you know. All right. Well, hey, you know, <laughs> it's, it's, it's time to try new things. Uh, last one here we got is Eloy Jimenez. Uh, and the number I'm going to give you is 49. 49. Hmm. 49. We know it's not home runs. We know it's not. Hmm. Is it the number of? No, I was going to say, is it the number of games that he missed last year? He missed more than that. I'll tell you what it is. It's his ground ball percentage. And Ooh. If he can get that under control, yeah, the dude could hit forty nine home runs. I mean, he's got that kind of power, but that is just one thing that's been part of his game, and I feel like is limiting him from taking that next step as like a an elite elite slugger. Um, but we know he's got the raw power. Yes. Uh, so I'm wondering, is he a guy he's going around pick 80 now? Uh, is he someone that you're going to be targeting in drafts? Absolutely. Yeah. I mean, I, I think the second half of the season last year, he was remarkable. He had 144 WRC plus, which I know is a flawed statistic, but I find interesting and kind of helping me look at valuing hitters. Um, I think he's going to, I think he's, going to hit for more power if he can stay on the field. I think he only played 80-some games last year, uh, and he had a really good season anyway. And I, I know you can't take the numbers and say, oh, you know, double it, and he's got 30 home runs and 100 RBIs. Like, it doesn't really work that way, but, like, he's legit that kind of guy. And the thing that Scott said that was really interesting to me about it was, you know, he's he's got the Jordan Alvarez body, you know, like I'm not saying he's Jordan Alvarez. I mean, obviously that guy is a freak of nature, but it's the same kind of thing, right? Mm -hmm. That raw power when he hits the ball hard, it is a screaming 
you know, line drive, right? So I like Eloy. I really like him if he's not playing in the outfield. You know, I mean, they got to get him out of there because he's a total meathead in the field. You know, like I, I'm afraid every time he's out in the left field, I'm afraid, A, he's going to try to jump over the fence and steal a home run ball that he wasn't even close to catching in spring training. Or he's going to plow into Luis Robert and kill him. You know, yeah. I, 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 we, I can't. It's, it causes me anxiety, Chris. Like I, he's got a DH. I don't care yeah. if he wants to or not. He's got to. Right. And, supposed, a, and mean, supposedly Pedro Grafal told him to not even bother bringing the glove to spring training. And if that's the case, Grafal for manager of the year right away. <laughs> that's it. He doesn't. That's it. I'm in. I'm in. That's it. Yep. Nope. Yeah. Yeah. No, we don't. We don't want Eloy out there looking like a meathead or a meatball. Shout out to Rob DiPietro. I, I love that. I love whatever. Rob is like, awesome. Calling someone a meatball is just, uh, I don't know. I find I kind of want to be called that myself, but um uh, a sh- I wanted to give you an ADP uh, either or here. Kyle Schwarber at pick 60 or Eloy at pick 80. Oof. I think I'm going to go Eloy, and I think that he might hit 100 points higher than Schwarber. Okay. Yeah. And that's and that's the first thought that I had. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, he's he's a guy that definitely it's in his range of outcomes to, you know, be a, a 300 hitter, whereas Schwarber, that's extremely unlikely. The only thing I think in Schwarber's favor um, that he may be underrated a little bit in is stolen bases. You know, yeah. You don't think of no, a that's a good like, point. You don't think of a guy like Schwarber as a guy who's going to contribute in, in stolen bases, but he did steal, I think, around 10 last year. And with the new rules, maybe he is even more aggressive. You know, the Phillies were an aggressive team. Uh, Eloy, mm-hmm. you know, this is one kind of negative for me with Eloy is that I think it's very, very unlikely that he gets you, what, three stolen base? Like, that's, to me, like the ceiling for him in that category. And Yeah, I don't think he's ever stolen a base in his career, honestly, in the major I think league. he had, like, I think I saw he had, like, one a couple years. Uh, I could be wrong, but I bring that up because... I think that's a consideration for me this year because of the the rule changes. We really don't know. We're just speculating on how this is going to impact things. But I think it's uh, fair to say that we're going to see an increase, right? So mm-hmm. I kind of want to make it a point of mine to target guys. Like I want to avoid players that are going to be a complete zero in that category. You yep, know that I, I can, can see that bank on being a, a zero because. You know, a player that maybe gets you five, well, maybe they're going to be more aggressive and get you 12, you know, right, with the new rule right. changes. So, and then you're kind of, you're falling behind there if you've got somebody who's got zero, no that's matter true. what other stats they're giving you. So, it's a great, that's a great point. I mean, and looking at the stats, I mean, Schwarber hit like what, 219 last year. He did steal 10 bases. Yeah. I did look it up. Eloy has never stolen a base in the major leagues. Oh, okay. Um, not one, not one. So oh, okay. to your point, though, let me let me offer you this, and if this sways you at all. Agreed, not wanting to take a zero in steals, but Schwarber's batting average is a zero, right? I mean, he's a 210 yeah. hitter, right? So you have Eloy, who might hit 300, 305, 310, and be 100 points better than Schwarber, but get no steals. But then you got Schwarber getting 10 steals, perhaps, to Eloy's none. That's an interesting predicament yeah. to find yourself in. It is, yeah, and that's really when you gotta just like look at your team and, um, you know, look at the rest of your roster, and, and that's that's where I think you know you could look at, you could know every stat in the book, right? But so much of fantasy is just understanding how to build a roster, you know, and then 
so those are the decisions. Like if you take an Eloy, then you've got to start thinking, okay, where am I going to make up for that and, and, and balance that out? You know, I, I mean, there's definitely a case if, if you want a guy who's more bankable and batting average. Yeah. Eloy. Well, let me ask definitely. you a question. Let me ask you a question. So if Eloy's at his ADP in the eighties, if you drafted somebody in the first round, like just say, just for the hell of it, you take Jose Ramirez in the first round and you, you're banking, hey, 25 home runs and 30 steals. Mm-hmm. Are you liable? Are you more liable then to look at a guy like Eloy down the road and say, okay, well, I've got this base of steals in second round. Let's say that you, so you go J Ram in the first and you get, I don't know, maybe like Kyle Tucker in the second, just for shits and giggles, right? So bank, you're banking 50 to 55 stolen bases there. Are you then looking at Eloy and saying, hmm, he's more attractive because he's got the batting average and he might hit 40 home runs? Yeah, absolutely. If I've got that base, um, definitely. Uh, I'm taking a shot on Eloy uh, at that price. So, um, yeah, I'm, I'm kind of a... When it comes down to it, I'm more of like a batting average snob for whatever reason. Like I tend to just gravitate more towards players that um, I find are bankable in that category. So that gets me trouble in sometimes in in stolen bases. But yeah, I, I wouldn't, especially there is a 20 pick difference between Schwarber and Eloy. So mm-hmm. if I'm going to get him cheaper, I'm also going to get a more bankable batting average. Um, you know, I, I think I'll, I'll take the risk. So a, a guy that... If I'm drafting uh, 10 teams, I probably, you know, I want him on a couple at least, you know. So, but yeah, we could, uh, Mike, we could talk all day. Um, We'll do a lot more talking in future episodes, but we're going to wrap this one up. Uh, Anything else to add before we wrap up on your beloved White Sox? No, just last thing I would say, you know, with the holiday season coming, you know, uh, make sure that we're checking up on our friends and our loved ones. And you and I both work in mental health in our day jobs and, know that this is a really difficult time of year for a lot of people so make sure you're checking up on your friends and and family and uh keeping it real with those guys and you know just make sure that you you're talking to somebody if you need to be talking to somebody you're not alone in any of this stuff and i know you i speak for you too when i say if any of you who are listening out there ever need anything our dms are wide open would love to talk with you and help you get some help if you need it or even just listen if you need somebody to just listen we're good at that stuff even though we talk constantly on the show absolutely yeah that's that's the important stuff right not uh not uh michael kopex came on his walk percentage uh, <laughs> <laughs> but um and one last thing actually i did want to plug i made a note here i i did want to um plug a shirt uh that is helping raise money for als you may have seen it mike on twitter uh rotaware which is uh, i didn't say that right rotaware uh, which is an amazing company. Um, they do, they create some just awesome shirts, fantasy related, baseball related. They put out a, a limited edition shirt that um, is going to, the proceeds are going to uh, ALS research. And mm-hmm. uh, the shirt, it, it looks awesome. It says baseball is the best. And then they've kind of got it designed so that it also has end ALS in there. Uh, it, the shirt looks so cool. Um, it's 30 bucks and it's going to a great cause. So, you know, if you want, want a new, new t-shirt and you want to, um, contribute to a good cause, go ahead and check them out. Rotoware.com. All right. That is it. Thank you so much for listening. If you like the show, please share it on Twitter, social media. Um, that is it. So for 
Mike, for Carlos, I'm Chris. Thank you so much for listening to Fantasy Baseball Beat.